You know me, I'm a big YouTuber. I was watching YouTube, and I saw this uh, guy, he got on and he said, uh, you should retire early because you don't know how much time you have left. My question is, is that if you retire early, does that give you more time? I mean, or do you die at the same time? Uh, The reason I say that is, is because what was he actually saying? What was he actually saying to us? He was saying that people don't like their jobs. That's what he's really saying to us. And I think when I go to, you know, to, when I've gone to some pro uh, football games or I've gone to pro, you know, baseball games and all, you know what? I never have the thought, those guys down there saying, you know what? I hope I can retire soon. Because what are those guys doing? They're trying to play as long as they can. Why are they trying to play as long as they can? Because they like the game. They love the game. And it ought to be in our lives that we love the game, what we're doing in terms of what, what's going on in our lives. You see, I believe that a lot of people in church aren't doing anything because they don't like doing it. They don't like what they're doing. You see, a vast majority of Christians aren't serving the Lord in any, case, any place. Many, many of them never have served the Lord anywhere. And I don't understand how we're ever going to be able to storm the gates of hell when we got most of our army not doing a thing at all. You see, what if the church was the church that Peter said the church needed to be? Looking in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 again, it says, For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Really, very clearly right here, we understand that Jesus is the cornerstone. And I talked about that last week, about when you lay the cornerstone of a a stone building, it determines the direction of that building. It's going to determine that it's going to be at that corner, that it's going to make that building go, and you don't make it go anywhere else. But also what happens is, is that each stone is going to be made to fit so that it fits around that cornerstone. And when you look at that temple in Jerusalem, and you see these uh, these huge stones, I mean, massive stones. And you realize that they brought those those stones. They cut them up in a quarry. They, they kind of slid them down the hill. And then they built up the ground so they could slide them in place. And they slid them and they went right in place. There's no mortar there or anything else. It just slides right in place. And they just set one on top of the other. You realize that if they don't cut it right up there, it's going to be a big problem when they get it down here. Because they can't make it fit. And it doesn't fit. And so when you have Jesus as the cornerstone, you realize that every other stone is going to be made to fit, made to fit that cornerstone. So the precise measurements in the, mas- uh, in the masonry must be made. And we realize that as we read this scripture, it's all it says, you are the church. The church is not the building that we worship in. It is the church building, but the church is you. I remember when I was, you know, reading uh, what Henry Blackaby said, the guy that wrote Experiencing God. He said when he was a pastor and he would watch somebody come down the aisle and they would join the church and he would look at that person. He said, I wonder what God's up to. 
what God's going to do with this person that is here because God doesn't send somebody with no plan whatsoever. You see, you have been selected and you've been cut to fit precisely where you belong. In this case, the stones do get to decide if they fit in the building because they do make that decision. But why isn't everyone part of the building? Why isn't it everyone is serving somewhere in the building? Well, some people have become members of the church, but not a part of Christ's building. They became members of the church. See, that means they went through the membership requirements without making the commitment to the Lord. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it one more time at least. It's easier to join a country club. I mean, it's easier to join a Baptist church. I said it wrong again. It's easier to join a Baptist church than it is to join the country club. It's that easy. We've found that we can, if you can walk, you can repeat a few words and you don't mind water. You can be a member of Baptist church. And realize that many people that come forward for whatever reason, whatever reason, I don't know what it is. For whatever reason, maybe there's because they're a child or maybe and their parents want them to do it. Or maybe they were, they're older and they said, you know, I, I came down. I don't know why I came down, but I, I don't know why I did it. But I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going to be baptized. I guess that's what's going to happen. And they never really make that commitment to the Lord so that they don't have the spiritual gifts that they need to have in order to serve. And when they serve, all they do it is out of obligation and fear. You know, I feel obligated to do it or I'm afraid of what the Lord would do. And, and then what happens so often? So many people that we have within the church, they only come about three times a year. They come Mother's Day. They come on uh, Easter. And, and they come on our, to our Christmas Eve services. And the real reason is there's no motivation there. There's nothing there. Nothing getting them over the, the hump there in order to do that. They do come one other time. And that is, is that when they have a crisis in their lives. I mean, when they hear the word cancer or they hear the word divorce or maybe they got a, a child running amok, you know what I'm saying? Then they'll, then they do come because they need an answer. And so they come for that reason, but they don't realize sometimes the answer is, is that church membership is important. I'm not trying to tell you it's not, but it's more important that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And then you know him, then the Holy Spirit comes into you and you receive your spiritual gifts and something happens within you that causes you to want to serve. Now, there's some good reasons why people don't serve too. Some Christians do not serve because they are infirm. They've gotten old. And quite frankly, you know what? They can't get down with those toddlers anymore because they can't get up when they got down there. That's just really what happens to them. They can't do it anymore. And so there's a lot of things. They can still pray, but there's a lot of things that they can't do anymore. And that's a good reason. Also, some Christians have distanced themselves from the Lord. See, they've, they've opted not to commit themselves to the work. This is what they said. They said, well, you know what? All I want is really salvation. I don't want any more than that. I don't really want any treasures in heaven because that's what we, we earn on this earth. We earn treasures in heaven. We don't earn heaven, but we can certainly earn some treasures in heaven. And they won't care about that until they stand before Jesus one day in, in that judgment seat. And he starts to give out the rewards and they don't have any. A large number of Christians simply do not know what their spiritual gifts are. They, and so when they went to serve in the church, they did it out of something that was not their gift. And they didn't like it. And it was hard work for them. 
And it was hard work because they weren't anointed with the Holy Spirit. So because they were operating within their own spiritual gift. And you see, you can't see God's miracles without being in the area that you're gifted in, spiritually gifted in. You're like Sisyphus who would, uh, was doomed to roll a boulder up a hill only to have it roll back down. It just became work to be in the church. It was nothing but work and the work went on. But this is not how the church was supposed to function. So each of us has a part in the body of Christ. Each and every last one of us. Each one of us has a function in the church. And one, one body part can function like another body part, but it's not ideal. On YouTube, I watched a guy that had no arms, therefore he had no hands. And he played the guitar with his feet. He was really good. But you know what I said? How good would he have been if he had arms and hands like everybody else? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You can't do it. It's just not ideal in doing that. You see, a person serving Christ within his or her spiritual gifts complies with Christ. A person is anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And the person serves in their giftedness. And they serve with joy. Not out of obligation, not out of fear, because the Holy Spirit fills them and they see God's miracles come right before them. And what are those gifts? Romans 12, 4 says, For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. What we're saying here is, is that we are members of the body of Christ, the building of Christ, if you want to call it that. But each of us has its own function. That word for function in that scripture, there is a word praxis. Praxis means practical application. It is the mode of the function. So just like a stone chosen to fit in a certain spot, you are are gifted to fit in an absolute certain spot and not all of us have the same function not all can fit in the same places in the same and they shouldn't that means that you can't just do anything in the church you must do what you are gifted to do but you have been placed in the church because of that gift and what you can do in the church And if you follow, if you do what your gift is in your life, your gift is being honed to be more fruitful. It'll be better as you go along. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, For this reason, Paul was writing to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That means as you use your gift, it gets better and better. And see, a lot of people, they don't know what their gifts are because they haven't even tried to use any of them or they haven't used them hardly at all. And they've been, their gifts are dormant because they haven't been used. It's it's sort of like I used to be in martial arts. When I was in martial arts and understood the muscles are already there. The muscles are already there and that unbreakable brick is breakable when you know how to use those muscles in a very focused way. And I can tell you from experience, the more you use it, the less painful it is. You understand what I'm trying to say? You see, what I'm trying to say is you get, you get that gift honed down. You see, now, it was already there. It was already there. You just used it. Let's go into verse 5 of Romans there. 
And so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Do you really think that God expected to give us gifts and that we wouldn't use them? Do you think that God really wanted to us to use them? Uh, I was uh, watching, when I was preparing this, I was watching the videos from the Five Stages of Consecration by Bruce Wilkinson. And he talked about his reference books. He said, how can I know this and all of this about the Greek? He says, because I have the Greek reference books. And my first reaction is, I have those Greek reference books as well. And then he referred to something called Kettles. Kettles uh, is the name of the, the editor of a set of reference books. It's about 10 volumes. In fact, it is 10 volumes. Its uh, real name is the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. I'll tell you what it really is. And it's pretty expensive, so I you know, had not bought it over the years. And I decided that after he said that, maybe I needed to have some of those books. And so I decided I would just buy them used. And so I looked all over the internet and I found them from Alabrese and secondhand uh, books and I don't remember, you know, half price books and every place I could find them. I bought them for seven or eight dollars a piece, you know, it's 10 volumes of the thing. And I got them in and they were like the Cadillac, the New Testament uh, reference materials. And so the thing is, is that I, I bought them and I got them in and I said, what's the difference if they're marked up a little bit? I mean, I can still use them. That's okay. But do you know what I found out? They weren't marked up. In fact, is you know how you can look at my books and you can tell some of them were uh, printed in 1960. I mean, and they just keep going on. I mean, so they got different uh, color covers on them as you look through them as you go through because they're, I've got decades of these books. I mean, what I'm trying to say is they're not all from the same decade. They're not all from the same time. And, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at that thing. And when I open them up, you can tell when a book is just set on the shelf and nobody's ever opened it. These books are never opened. And I thought, this is better than I even could imagine. I'm getting like brand new books. I mean, there are, they do have, they're a little faded on the outside, but that doesn't bother me. And so, but what good is a book that just sits on a shelf? What good is a Christian that just sits and does nothing whatsoever? The usefulness in those books resides within the books. The richness that is in there, and it must be used if it's going to be rich. Now, why would these pastors, because pastors are the people who are going to be buying these, these kittles, why would they not use these books? Well, I think it's one, they were, they've been trying to do the work of the church that others should be doing, and they didn't have time to do the research for the things that they needed to do. That's part of the reason. And so they were acting, you know, these others should be acting out of their spiritual gifts, and they weren't. This is what's going on. But there's another side of this. You know what I think the other side of it is? I think that a lot of pastors take over jobs that people are supposed to be doing and don't let them use their spiritual gifts. In other words, the pastor's not using his spiritual gifts, but he's not letting other people use their spiritual gifts either. He's doing things that he shouldn't be doing in this process. Now, the, the apostles understood this. The apostles, when they, they realized they had a problem in the sixth chapter of Acts, they, they had a problem because the Hellenistic Jews were not getting their equal distribution of the food. I'm sure it was the Hellenistic Jews, or widows rather, uh, who uh, had come to them and said, the Hellenistic, us Hellenistic widows are not getting our fair share. And so the apostles didn't take the chore on themselves. What did they do? 
In Acts chapter 6, verse 2, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, is there a pastor that is too good to serve tables? No. That's not going to be, you know, there's no pastors too good to do that. I certainly can do that. I mean, I was putting in toilet paper last week because something happened here. So, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I'm not too good to do that. But quite frankly, that's not what I should be doing. I should be working in my spiritual gifts, and I need to be letting other people work in their spiritual gifts as well. It's a great lesson here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the eye, to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And what he's saying here is, We are all necessary parts of the body of Christ. Every last person in any building, the careful placement of each part determines the reliability of that structure. The problems that have happened in buildings is is that the builders cut corners in order to save money. And they didn't use the structural strengthening parts because those strengthening things cannot be seen on the surface. They're underneath all of that. And much of the destruction of the last major earthquake in Mexico came from, and I'm quoting from the report on this, improper construction that cut corners. They didn't do, they didn't do it like it should have been done. They, they, they did it to cut corners. Second, corruption from building inspectors. When they did cut the corners, they paid off the building inspector. The building inspector then passed it. And third, failure to change the flat slab method of building in Mexico. What they did was they built everything with cement and they didn't put any rebar in there. Whether it was floors or anything else, this is what is going going on. See, and what we do in the church so often, we only push those presentable gifts. We push that you should teach or maybe even use your, your gift of prophecy in your teaching or, or you give, you know, in order to serve the church. And we let those people that have the gift of mercy, they can work in the food pantry. But we give very few opportunities for those that are administrators or encouragers. And we even sometimes take away the joy that a person who has the gift of service from them and don't even give them the opportunity. 1 Corinthians goes on to say, If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that would seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which 
our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You can see here that the use of our gifts binds us together too. It ends up binding us together. We care for one another with our gifts. We teach because we care. We show mercy and courage and sometimes even rebuke each other because we care. We give because we care. When I was in Houston had a seven-year-old little boy. He fell out of the third floor of, he was playing with his brother, and he fell out of the third floor, floor apartment. And I mean, I got to the hospital, and I just couldn't believe that a seven-year-old could die. I mean, I, I even assured the parents, he's going to be okay. I'm sure he's going to be okay. But three days later, the doctors came to me and said, can you ask the parents if we can use his organs because there's no brain activity. And so I went over there and talked to the parents about this. The parents said, we don't have any money for a funeral. I said, we'll take care of it. Now, my finance committee chairman was not happy with me. I'll let you know that up front because I said, we'll take care of it. And so I went before the church. And you know what the church did? They gave in such a way, now the funeral home helped, I have to say this, that not only were we able to prepare for everything for this little boy and get him a casket and the services and the grave and all of that, but we had enough money left over to fund our benevolence ministry for another year. That's what happens when the church is given the opportunity, given the opportunity to step up. See, using our gifts brings unity in the church. We stand shoulder to shoulder in the work of the church. And when we're standing shoulder to shoulder, we can't stand back to back. We cannot be opposed to each other. An army that doesn't act against a common enemy will find discord in its ranks. We are unstoppable when we know and we act upon our common purpose. And our common purpose is to reach the enemies of God. That's what people are before they become believers. To reach the enemies of God with the gospel and equip them to build mansions in heaven. That's what we do. Now let me read verse 18 to you again. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. See that? You're chosen for this. We are the blocks that God has chosen to build his church. But it starts with Jesus being the cornerstone.